Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us in an awesome time of worship this morning. Thank you, Miss Natalie, for coming and sharing such a great uh, testimony as as an Army family, we're just so glad that we're all part of part of your family and you're part of our family too. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our series in Philippians that we have entitled, In All Things, you may notice the graphic that we use is a picture of a road that twists and turns and does all kinds of things. Very similar to what's already been alluded to this morning in the testimony that none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know the future. None, God knows the future, but we know he, ha, he has us in his hands, but you and I don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. But one of the main points of the book of Philippians is that in all things, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be with us, and he will take care of us. And we're going to continue that series uh, this morning as we look at, at this subject in Philippians chapter 2, imitating the incarnation. Imitating the incarnation. As we finish out this morning, after we look at this passage, we're going to take communion together. and it's a, it's a visible representation of what Christ has done for us, which is why once a month we all hang out together as a family. The children and everybody are, are in here together. And as we often say, um, I, we're so glad to have families here. We're so glad to have children here. We do have a nursery, but you are also welcome to bring the babies in here and walk up and down the aisles and do whatever you need to do because we're just all glad to be here together as a family. As we look at the subject, imitating the incarnation, thinking about Philippians and the concept of being in all things. Well, we're just a couple of days away from an important anniversary in the history of our country. Uh, today is June the 4th, but June the 6th is the commemoration of, of, of D-Day, if you remember that. In 1940, if you remember history, that is the year that the evil forces of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, that's when they invaded France in 1940. It was very overwhelming. It was devastating. It only took a few weeks for France to be forced into an unconditional surrender in 1940. You know the rest of the story. You know how World War II unfolded. And you know that on June the 6th in 1944, the liberation of France was set in motion with the D-Day invasion of Normandy by the Allied forces. Now, you and I know there was a lot of battles to be fought there was a lot of work to be done after June 6, 1944, but that day stamped what? It stamped the beginning of the end for Hitler and for those evil forces. As you and I think about Philippians chapter 2, and we think about the concept of imitating the incarnation, what I mean by that is Paul is going to use the example of Christ himself, the fact that Jesus came to earth as a man, and he's telling us to imitate that. You could almost call this message how to live out the Christmas story. In a similar way that D-Day was the beginning of the end, 
for Nazi Germany. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was the beginning of the end for sin. It was the beginning of the end for death. It was the beginning of the end for Satan because when Jesus was born on this earth, that was the day that the incarnation took place. God became flesh. That was the day when love came down. The day that was spoken of by the prophets where they said, Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2 and let's begin by looking at a couple of the first verses here as we think about how to live out the Christmas story, as we think about how to imitate the incarnation. I want you to look at what Paul does in verse 1 as we introduce, as we introduce this today. He says this. He has several if clauses. Notice, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and by the way, the implied answer for all these is, and there is. So that there's a hint. If there is any encouragement in Christ, implied being, yep, there is encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from love, yep, there is. If there's any participation in the Spirit, yes, there is. And if there's any affection, and if there's any sympathy, if there's any mercy, some translations say, the implied task is there is comfort. There is love. There, 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 is, there is these things. Verse number two carries the main verb of the section we're going to look at, which is primarily going to be Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Look at verse number two, what it says. He says, complete my joy. Some of your translations may say, fulfill my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full one accord and one mind. Paul is, is, is pleading with the Philippians to, to make his joy complete. He's going to talk about joy throughout the book. We've already seen that as our bro my brothers, my teammates have preached through Philippians chapter 1 twice now, I think. This is our, I think this is our fourth message, actually, in Philippians. They brought up the fact that it is joy, joy that's bigger than our circumstances. But now Paul says, he says to the church at Philippi, he says, I want you to complete my joy. This is a pastor who loves his people, and he's like, guys, you want to really see me be complete and fulfilled? You know what really just make me overjoyed with happiness and joy? Do this. That's what he's saying. Complete my joy. And he's going to use Jesus Christ as an example. So with that said, I want, you, I want to read together the rest of this passage, and then we'll, we'll get to our main uh, points this morning. So look at verse 2. Complete by joy, being of the same mind, the same love, full accord, and one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, some translations say a bondservant or a slave, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in human form, watch this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I think he covered it all. Verse 11, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul uses the example of Christ and what Christ did for us as the example of this is how you fulfill my joy. This is how you live out that incarnation. And I think we're going to see three ways we do that this morning. Point number one is this. The first thing that you and I need to have, as seen in this passage, is number one, a selfless attitude. We need to have a selfless attitude. He talks about it in verse two. The same mind. The same love, full accord, one mind. There's this idea of unity. Natalie, in the testimony earlier, you need me and I need you. Selfless attitude. Look at verse 3 and 4. Again, you'll see this selflessness. He says, don't do things from selfish ambition. Don't do things from conceit. Well, what's the, what, how do we do it then? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You could say, it's not about you. I could say, it's not about me. He says, don't look after only your own interests, but what? He says, look after the interests of others. If you're going to live out the, what, in, what the incarnation is that God became flesh and dwelt among us, the first thing we're going to have is we're going to have a selfless attitude. Now, notice verse 6. We're going to talk about this for just a minute. It says, he says to, to have this mind just like Christ Jesus, and then he says this about, about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is saying that although Jesus was God, right? God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is fully God. When he says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he didn't have to grasp equality with God because he is God. He is equal with God. You don't have to turn to these passages, but I want to point out a couple of things that the New Testament says about Jesus Christ, and you can jot these down in your notes. And uh, by the way, we got some good note takers in here who some of the best note takers in this room are under 12 years old because some of these children after the service, they come and they, they show me all the notes they take during, during church. So let that be a shots fired, gauntlet drop. Uh, good, be good note takers if you're, if you're one that that helps you. John chapter 1 says this. In John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh in verse 14 and dwelt among us. You remember that? You remember that verse? It says that in John 1, 1, we won't turn there, but in the beginning, what? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What that's saying is that the Word who became flesh, it's talking about Jesus, is saying that Jesus is the God of incarnation. Incarnate. Made, God made flesh. God made a person. In Colossians chapter 1, again, we won't turn there, but you can jot a note. In Colossians chapter 1, it talks about Jesus Christ himself being there at creation. Well, how is that possible? Because he wasn't in human form yet, but God the Son has always existed. He's the God of creation. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, you don't, again, you don't have to turn there, but it basically says there that God spoke through the prophets in different times. 
But he says now, the writer of Hebrews says, now God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God of revelation. He's the one who is there in creation. He's the one who is there. He's the word. You see what I'm saying? And now in this passage, we're going to see Jesus as this God who is, who is, is fully God himself, but he has this selfless attitude. There's no question of Jesus Christ trying to snatch equality with God because he already is God. There's also no idea that, God, that Jesus is going to use his equality with God as an excuse for self-assertion or self-aggrandizement or, or, self, or self-serving. He says he uses it to renounce every advantage or privilege that he may have had. That's what the passage is saying. Be like Jesus who was selfless and although he was God in the flesh, he didn't use that for his own selfish gain, but he used it to serve others. What Paul is telling us is that for us, our baseline of how to imitate that and how to live that out in your life and in mine is to start by being selfless just like Christ was. Jesus has, has, has always existed. He emptied himself, this passage says. Not that he stopped being God, but that he was willing on willing to take a role that was selfless. One translation said, made himself nothing or made himself no reputation. This morning, are we selfless or are we selfish? Selfless attitude. That's where it starts. Point number two is this. We start with a selfless attitude, which will lead to point number two, a servant heart. And I would add to that a servant heart that's going to have at its core humility. Look at verses seven and eight again in Philippians chapter two. We just talked about it. What did it say that Jesus did when he said, have this attitude, have this mind like Jesus who emptied himself in verse number seven, and it says he did what? He took the form of a, of a servant. The Greek word there's doulos. It also is the same translated word for slave. He, he took the form of a bond servant. He took the form of a servant. And then in verse eight, he, being found in human form, we know that, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. If you think back to the Christmas story itself, when God, you know, we're, this is like Christmas in June or Christmas in July right now, but the Christmas story is still true, right, even though we're on the other side of when we typically celebrate it. The Christmas story, if you think about it, is really God on mission. You know, have any of y'all ever gone on a mission trip for, with a church or a sending agency and you went and, and you served somewhere else? Well, this is like the ultimate example of a mission trip. God went on mission. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to have a servant's heart. He, he, did it, he did it for the sake of others. God sent his son Jesus to earth to become one of us. Jesus came to earth to be a servant. I want to show you a passage of scripture where Jesus lays this out very clearly. So hold your place in Philippians 2, but I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. This is so important, I don't want you, I don't want you to miss it. Mark chapter number 10, I want, I want you to see something here. I want you to see something here. In this concept of humility, in this concept of being a servant, this story came up in the New Testament. Look at verse 35. Two of his disciples, James and John, they came to Jesus and said, 
Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Here's what they want. Verse 37 in Mark 10. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. That's the question. That's what they asked. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said, the cup that I drink, uh, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. Look at verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And watch this. When the ten heard of this, so this caused some trouble. It says when the ten, that is, you had the two, James and John, asking the question. But when the rest of the disciples heard of it, the Bible says that they began to be indignant. That's just a fancy word for super, super angry and bitter at James and John. And Jesus called to all of them and said this in verse 42, You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority. Watch this. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you would be your servant. It's the great reversal. The world says greatness is one thing. Jesus says greatness is something totally different. Don't forget that. Verse 44, And whoever would be first among you must be slave or servant of all. The key verse, if you might want to write this down or make it in your notes or make, just take note, verse 45 in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And when you keep reading the gospel, what you're going to find is when he gets to this point, the rest of the gospel is a laser beam focus on the suffering nature of heading to the cross. Jesus is letting us know, and back to all, you can go, turn back to Philippians chapter 2, Paul is teaching that for you and I to imitate this incarnation and to fulfill his joy and to have this kind of other's focus, we're going to have to have a servant's heart very similar to the Lord Jesus. A servant's heart. I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes strategizing like what's next for my life and my career. I know none of y'all ever do that. Y'all all trust the Lord and, and none of y'all think about those kinds of things. But I was, I was pondering that as I was thinking about this idea of a servant. And just think about this with me for just a minute. We are, we are actually a couple of years away from the next presidential election. But you better believe there's some people behind closed doors that are doing a lot of strategizing. On a, on a lot of areas and a lot of political parties, and what are they strategizing? How are we going to get the next president? There's a lot of work going into it. A lot of work. You can already see, you can, you can look up your social media. There's algorithms. There's way smart people than me that are, that are trying to figure out how to do that to, 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 to get the position of leadership, right? Or maybe you're like me and, you know, you, you, you trust the Lord with your, with your future, but you're also, well, maybe I need to do this. Or maybe I need to do that. And I'm not saying don't make plans. Make, make your plans. Be wise. Be smart. But it's interesting to me to think about how God chose to, to, to save our souls. God's ultimate plan. It's very interesting if you think about how humble it started. It is not what I would have done in my grand strategies of, of my little brain. And maybe not yours either. When I think about the first century, I would have, I don't know. Maybe I ought to put Jesus' birth in Alexandria. That was the, 
That was the intellectual capital of the of the excuse me yeah the intellectual capital of the world Alexandria where all the books the libraries and things or maybe by now Rome had by the time Jesus was walking the earth by the by then Rome was the center of the political power why not have Jesus born in 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 Rome it was the political capital of the world I don't know that would have been my plan maybe I don't know I'm glad I'm glad God didn't really ask me what he was going to do or y'all either. Maybe, what about Athens, Greece? That's where all the smart people were. That's the philosophical capital of the world. I mean, you can go to a college today and you'll still read about those cats who wrote all that stuff a long time ago. So they're pretty smart, but maybe put Jesus there. Or maybe if you want to do the spiritual route, put him in Jerusalem. That was the spiritual capital of the world. But as you know, Jesus wasn't born in any of those places. He was born in an obscure city close to Jerusalem. But just as the prophet foretold, he was born in humble beginnings. But he was born with a servant's heart. Here's why. Because yours and my need, our real need in life, is not education. It's redemption. Our, our, our need is not social change. The, 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 the problems of this world are not going to be solved with the magic right person quote in leadership. What the world needs is salvation from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. The world doesn't need more religious information. What the world needs is spiritual transformation that only happens through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, however, that in this humility, God is still taking care of business. Did you, did you watch that? It says he humbled himself, but then what did God do in verse 9? He exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And I love how he words this. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is Paul's way of wording. There's nothing that escapes what I am saying. Every knee will, will bow one day. To the glory of God the Father is what it says at the end of verse 11. And by the way, that's the key for the, for the glorification to make sense. I, I don't want you to walk away and hear from this message the principle, well, if I'll just be humble, God's just going to make me a millionaire and I'm going to get exalted and I'm going to get all this cool stuff. That's not what he's saying. Read it very carefully. We imitate the incarnation. We have this servant mentality and this humility and the Lord Jesus Christ gets exalted. And he gets the glory, and we serve him, and we give praise and glory to him. You see, you see the difference. And before we move on, let me point out one more thing. Go down to verse 14. I want to show you something. And this is true of all the Bible. Biblical teaching is not just there to go, let me make sure I believe the right things. Biblical teaching leads to action. Look at verse 14. This is after he talks about this humiliation. He just throws out there in the middle of his letter, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, doing things without complaining and arguing is just a natural outworking of the fact that I have humility and that I'm not about me, that I'm about serving other people. When I mark it down, do some self-reflection, I've done it, it hurts. When I'm complaining and when I have a bad attitude, I pretty much can pin it down to the fact of, of, of I'm being prideful in some way. How dare something bad happen uh, to me? 
I don't say that to discount the hardships that we go through in life. That's why we have the Lord, and that's why we have each other, to hold each other up during those difficult times. But what Paul is saying here is that this servant's heart will lead to a, a, an attitude of gratitude, which is much deeper than a cliché. It will lead to joy that is much deeper than happiness, but it's all going to start with having that humility and having a servant's heart. Now, number three. Number three is submissive obedience. Submissive obedience. Look at what it says in verse five one more time in Philippians chapter two. He says, have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, let this permeate who you are as a, as a person. Have this, have this mind. Look at how he words it in verse uh, number 8. He humbles himself. He says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming, there's the word, obedient. He did what God warned him to do. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This imitating of the incarnation, I want to point out this idea of obedience is, is not a matter of surface level imitation. It, with people simply attempting to copy Jesus and so make themselves better people. If, if, if we go away from here and our takeaway is Jesus is a good example. If I just sort of do things kind of like he did, I'll check that block and I'll be a good person. If we do that, we will have missed the entire point because he says, let this mind be in you. He wants this to permeate our very souls. It's not checking a block to say, yes, I followed in his footsteps. Paul shares in this passage outward signs of obedience. Sure, like don't, don't argue, don't grumble, those kind of things. But the underlying reality is that the people of Jesus Christ are, as it were, enfolded within the narrative of Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation. In other words, this, this concept of obeying God is not just checking a block to say we obey. This concept in the natural outworking of obeying God stems from the fact that we are children of God, and it is encapsulated in who we are as humble servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I can't remember who I stole this from, but one of my good friends told me last week in preaching team meeting when we met, I think it was you, Jeremiah, the more that we are like Christ, the more we will get to do what we want to do. We'll say that again, and then we'll unpack it, and we'll have the band come up, and we'll have communion in just a minute. The more we are like Christ, the more we will get to do what we want to do. When we stay close to the Lord in prayer, when we stay close to the Lord in the scriptures, when we have that heart's desire to serve him, we're connected with Christian brothers and sisters. You know what's going to begin to happen? That one phrase, have this mind in you like it was in Christ Jesus, that's going to start being permeated into your heart. And then you know what's going to happen? Some of those want-tos that you have in your life and I have in my life, they're going to start adjusting. That's what I mean when I say the more we are like Christ, the more we will get to do exactly what we want to do. Because the more we are like Christ, the more our obedience and our desires are going to be to line up with the will of our Heavenly Father. Does that make sense? Yes. Amen.
imitate the incarnation in all things, the more we spend time with him, the more we humble ourselves, the more we are like Christ. As we get ready to take communion, I want you to think about, as we always do, exactly what God has done for us. Behold the man upon the cross, we sang, right? My sin on his shoulder. As we think about his humility, as we think about his obedience, you may be here today and you may say, well, well, Chaplain Dan, I hear what you're saying and I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Wow, we would love to talk to you about that and, and, and sit down with you and talk about how you can place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and have your sins uh, forgiven. Well, we have communion this morning. Our communion time is, is welcome to anyone who professes uh, the name of Jesus Christ. As we take this communion, may we think, when we walk out these doors, we're going to celebrate together with the communion and as we dismiss, I want us to ask ourselves a question. This week, how can I imitate the incarnation? I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your humility. We thank you for your example, as Paul said, to fulfill his joy by being complete and having the same mind. God, I pray that we would long for that mind, the mind of Christ, God, as we take this communion, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, I pray that it would be spiritually uplifting as, as, as we're reminded of what a great sacrifice you made for us. And God, may it encourage us, give us strength among ourselves, among soldiers, among our families, to imitate that servanthood and that humility all around us to bring glory to you. Bless us as we take this communion now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.